Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey friends, welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. This is Trevor coming to you from snowy and beautiful Cape Elizabeth, Maine. It's a bright blue sunny morning out here and I'm really psyched and grateful to be sharing this episode with you today is the 50th episode of the Man Up to Cancer podcast. So I feel like it's fitting that I do just an unplugged, unedited solo show today. Um, No ads, just me rambling at you. Uh, If that's not your cup of tea, feel free to skip ahead to or go back, check out our catalog. Um, So 50 episodes um, when I wasn't even sure, you know, if I'd get a handful in. um, It's pretty awesome. I want to thank lots of thank yous real quick Um, to all my guests who've been on. You've been so generous and, and just so giving with your time and your spirit and your energy. Thank you for coming on to Kellen Wellborn, my um, my usual co-host and partner in crime. Thank you for being my co-host, my friend, the Jill of all trades when it comes to men up to cancer, uh, marketing and merchandise and all that stuff. Susie Piker, I'm sorry, Susie Pond, I'm going to do that forever. Susie Pond and Alice Anderson for more things than I have time to say. And thanks, of course, to Joe Bullock and to the more than 1,400 men of the Howling Place group. KFG, you are all fierce and loving wolves, and I will go to battle with you always. Today, I want to give you uh, an update on my journey, and I want to talk about one of my favorite subjects, toxic positivity. So for my journey, thank you all for your love and support. For me, Sarah, and the girls, we feel it. 2021 was a year of suckitude. It was pretty much mostly chemo and surgery. Uh, my big, my really major surgery in September. Um, after months of the kitchen sink kick me in my ass chemo, I had um, the big surgery at Mass General to basically it was cytoreductive surgery or debulking. It's a fancy way of saying they cut you open from your breastbone all the way down to your belly button, open up your entire abdominal cavity, and just kind of. Uh, pick out whatever cancer and and tumors they find in there. So yeah, so for it being a year of suckitude, it went really well. The chemo worked great. The surgery was a success. And now into 2022, in mid-January, I had my first CT scan since all that craziness and and my second blood work. So my blood work is perfectly normal. I have the blood of a non-cancery person, which is wonderful. And my first CT scan Let's just say the anxiety was high as that scan date approached on the calendar. But the CT report came back with the best news possible. No local recurrence and no sign of metastatic disease. So no evidence of disease. Ned. I like to think of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Um, So, well, actually no evidence of active disease would be more accurate. I have... I have at least one residual tumor at the very top of my liver. 
but that hasn't changed in more than a year. So we are assuming that that's dead. So Ned or NED, the Holy grail for cancer patients. If you get to Ned, you are doing a happy dance, no matter where you are, when you get the news, no matter what the future might hold, no matter what the doctors tell you about your chance of recurring. And I know my chance of recurring are very high. Um, so yeah, it's good. But so you, you get this scan report and it's, it's most of my scan reports have been like three pages because it's like every little spot of concern and possible metastasis and definite metastasis. And it's just bad. This one was less than, it was less than a page. So I was kind of shocked and, and just said, you know, no evidence of active disease essentially. And so time to celebrate, right? Yes. But unfortunately, as many of you know, it's not that simple. Um, Yes, I am grateful. And as a stage four patient, I'm excited. At the very least, I have a hall pass for the next three months until my next imaging. And at the best, I'm at the beginning of what will hopefully be a long string of good scans and blood work. I think about following the footsteps of Howard Brown, who had a similar surgery and uh, is is just rocking life, Ned. But there's also conflict in my mind and in my heart. There is emotional turbulence. And a lot of friends, you guys, you warned me about this. You said when you go from active treatment to surveillance, a.k.a. watch and wait. What a great term that is. Like, yep, watch and wait. Watch and wait for the other shoe to kick you in the ass. <laughs> um, definitely some unpredictable emotions. And so here's, here's the truth of what I went through after the scan and getting the good results. The first thing I felt was exhaustion, just utter exhaustion. And I think that's the cumulative effects of the treatments and the cumulative effects of stress. The stress of living with metastatic cancer is it's unreal. It's really hard to convey to people who haven't lived it. Um, so with that exhaustion comes relief and really just, I wanted to just crawl under the covers. And it's funny because when you, the stress going into a scan, the scanxiety, like, you know, wondering what the results are going to be is the worst part. When you get the results, whether it's good or bad, if it's good, Hey, great. You have that relief. You're celebrating. If it's bad, then you, you are regrouping, recalibrating, coming up with a plan. So, but at very least you have, um, clarity. So, yeah, so just relief and just wanting to sleep <laughs> after some after our ice cream cake with the girls and um, hanging out. Secondly, um, I've been wrestling with guilt. I know this is a lot. This is something a lot of you guys out there are dealing with is survivor's guilt. It is the real fucking deal. Um, why did I get a good scan when Jill or Rick or Vanessa are getting shitty scans are going into hospice? Why do I get some more time when for others, the time is up? This is especially hard for those of us, I think, who are involved in cancer advocacy and are connected with a lot of patients because I've made friendships with literally hundreds of other patients and a lot of them have died or will soon die. And you think about that, of course, I think about them, you know, when I wake up in the morning And I start like those mundane tasks or or even just getting up, getting up, feeling my feet 
touch the wood floor, the sensation of that, feeling the aches of my muscles as they come to life, hearing Grace, the dog, scratching at the door or or um, her toenails creeping across the room to try to get me up. Um, all of those sensations that tell me I'm still alive, that I'm still here in this body, that I'm on this earth and my friends are gone. Even when I know they would want me to have the best day possible, as Lona would say, um, when I know that they want me to soak up every moment, it's not easy. And I am absolutely motivated by their memory. Um, that's something I talk about often. I've done a whole podcast on it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm motivated by the friends I've lost and those that are struggling to, to do all that I can this day to live with joy and purpose. And obviously not every day is going to have that. And not every day is going to have that intensity, but that's definitely a motivation. But that, that, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to deal with that guilt. I also want to touch on the issue of identity. So going from <clears throat> active treatment to survivorship, um, <laughs> I guess, for lack of better terms. So for almost all of the past four years, I have identified mostly as a cancer patient. I'm in the, so I'm at the clinic or I'm in the hospital. Like it feels like all the time. My veins are constantly being punctured. I'm a regular visitor to the surgical theater, the scalpel, the antiseptic smells, the nothingness of anesthesia, all these things that just reinforce in my mind. I am a patient going through the experience of a patient and I, I don't avoid that. Like, okay, I'm fine with that. that's where I've been. So then I'm told, you know, no active, I'm told no active cancer that we can see right now. So go forth and live your life, young man or semi-young man, you know, I'm 45, still consider myself young. So am I a patient now? Or am I a survivor? Was I both? Am I both? Language just is so tricky, right? But but we all, we're always trying to define our identities in our mind, and language is one of the things we have. So three months now, if I do have a recurrence, or six months now, will I be a patient then? Um, lots of questions. How should I live? Should I slip back into that, that comfortable illusion place where I'm certain I will live to see my children's children. Um, that place where my mind has that, that, that certain, the certainty of, of, um, you know, what I would expect to be a normal lifespan, you know, the, the, so that option of going back into the matrix, that's very appealing. Or do I stay in this stage four mindset where planning is just a joke where, the stage four mindset is where you need to do everything, fit everything in, see everything, make everything happen now, because this might be, this year might be my last trip around the sun in this human form. Planning, I mean, how do you plan when the illusion of certainty has been stripped away? I don't know the answers to any of this stuff. <laughs> if you thought I was going toward answers, yeah, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> I'm just muddling through like the rest of you guys, but I just... Um, I'm someone who, who talks about it and writes about it a lot. Um, but these are thorny questions. And I'm fortunate to have a partner in Sarah who is helping to answer them with me. Um, so whoever your people are that can help you, you know, get through those questions, help you create that mindset that, that works for you, you know, do that. 
I would like to shift now to one of, like I said at the beginning, one of my favorite topics, one that gets me worked up like no other topic in Cancerland, toxic positivity. Ah, you know, that thing where people who don't even know you, when they find out you have cancer, you know, in no matter what setting it is, just feel compelled to tell you, just think positive and you'll be fine. Or as um, my friend Julie and I like to joke, you got this. And we'll get to the fact that, you know, people are just generally well-meaning, but the just think positive thing is such a trigger. (laughs) And I bring this up again today because after my good scan, is someone, you know, I post on Facebook like I do, and uh, <clears throat> someone commented, you know, all of your scans are going to be good from here on forward if you just think positive. It, you know, which reminds me of a couple of my favorite stories. Okay, so here is the really abbreviated versions of this, of these stories. So I go into the, this was probably like a year into cancer. I go into the bank to... Um, deposit a bunch of checks and I, I think I had something on my folder that said something about cancer and one of the tellers at the bank looks at me and she and she you know starts inquiring about if I have cancer this and that and I said I tell her I'm like yeah well I have cancer and she then proceeds into this five minute monologue on how doctors at one point thought she had cancer and and they were thinking maybe she did but she um, went home essentially and visualized on not having cancer and um, made it clear in her heart that she definitely didn't have cancer. So she went back into the doctors and they determined that she, in fact, did not have cancer. So her message to me was go home, think real hard on it, pray and visualize, and then, you know, you'll be cancer free, which was super helpful. Um so that's the bank. And then there was Panera. Panera was even worse. So I go into Panera and I'm sorry, poor Panera. It's not your fault. These people just happened to be there. So I was just about to have my, I think it was probably like, I can't remember at this point. I'm not looking at my notes, but it was either before my first or second liver resection surgery. And I was in a super dark place, admittedly. I was in a place of real depression and anxiety and I I got, this was one of the first times that I was like out on my own and outside of the house in like forever. I was just eating lunch and there were these guys next to me and they were talking about cancer and one of them comes up with this, again, launches into this um, discussion of how cancer is an entirely psychological disease how people get cancer because they have some psychological roadblocks that they haven't dealt with. And that's what causes cancer. And then when you remove the psychological roadblocks, when you deal with whatever psychological ill that you brought upon yourself, essentially, then you will um, be healthy again. So that's the gist of it. My point is this. As cancer patients, we are (laughs) routinely shamed. And somehow it's culturally okay to shame us. Like we are made to feel that something we did, something we ate, something we thought, or purely because of our poor mindset, that's why we got cancer. And that if we just think the right way or pray the right way or fix whatever chakras are misaligned, we will heal ourselves. Wow. Talk about a burden. (laughs) It's heinous actually when you think about it so imagine society 
telling someone with a spinal cord injury, just be positive, visualize your spinal cord whole and healthy, or telling a type one diabetic, just be positive, just visualize your pancreas working properly and that's going to happen for you. You don't hear that kind of stuff very often outside of the most hardcore of evangelical settings. But with cancer, not only is it somehow okay to do that to us as patients, when you don't even know us, but it's everywhere. You go into a bookstore and you check out the health section, the magazines, the books, everything. Audio, um, conquering cancer is all about mindset. It's over and over again. It's everywhere. And I mean, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You finally provided the answer. I will just wish the cells back into behaving themselves. And (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just real frustrating. And it's like standing in a garden full of weeds and closing your eyes and chanting, there are no weeds, there are no weeds. And opening your eyes and expecting the weeds to be gone. Now, to me, this is delusional. The weeds are there, no matter what we think think of them. But... And here is the really tricky part for me, because I actually do believe that I can improve my health through positivity and taking care of my mind. Science has proven this, like we know the mind-body connection, but that power is limited. I don't believe that I have omnipotent control of my health. I get it. I understand that mindset plays a role, Um but I don't have omnipotent control of my health and far wiser, far more capable thinkers, um, far wiser people have than I have tried and failed to visualize themselves to a cure. So that's, I, yeah, I mean, to, that's the real tricky part of that whole conversation is that it, it's not a black and white. It's not, it's not, Um, positive mindset determines your disease on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other positive mindset has nothing to do with your disease on the other. I believe there are absolutely shades of gray of that, but I don't believe in either one of those extremes. And the real trouble with the just be positive approach is that it denies us as cancer patients, the fundamental human rights that we have to experience all of the emotions Even the more difficult ones. Fear is normal. Anxiety is normal. Grief is normal. Anger is normal. All these emotions are normal for a quote-unquote healthy person. um, And they're very normal for a person going through the cancer experience. We are healthy when we access the full range of emotions. Whether you want to say they're God-given, universe-given, whatever your beliefs are. We're healthy when we have access to that full range. When we allow ourselves to cry, scream, rage, or yes, even wallow at times. I have wallowed. I'm okay with that. And and it's healthy when we don't feel guilty about that. We are unhealthy when we suppress those feelings. When we don't allow ourselves to be fully human. When we convince ourselves that if we feel anything except positivity, we're allowing our disease to flourish. And that's how we're made to feel. Um, And it's utter nonsense. So if you have people in your life who don't allow you to feel all the feels of cancer, tell them to stop. And if they won't, get yourself better friends. I would argue that the stress of suppressing 
are all of our emotions, like trying to force ourselves to be positive all the time is actually more harmful. Like that's, I think that that's to me, the, the threat is when we say we can't feel like that or we're going to determine the outcome of our disease. That's unfair. And I don't, I don't think that reflects the complexity of medical science or spirituality, and it's super harmful to patients and their families. So, and look, I'm not here to tell anyone what to believe. If you believe that you can heal yourself or, or someone else through positivity, more power to you. That's your belief. That's your, that's the way that you approach cancer. Just please don't heap that burden on me. And I do understand why toxic positivity exists as it relates to cancer. Cancer is scary. People don't want to get cancer. And if they do get it, they want to feel that it's completely in their power to cure it. And Americans in particular, uh, we want to believe that we're in total control of our lives, our destinies, our autonomy. And cancer challenges that desire like no other health problem. So I understand the fear and how the fear leads people to want to put cancer patients in our little boxes of positivity. But I just realized for me that the just be positive mindset wasn't really a fit. And I had to find a different approach. And I've written about this before. And to quote from one of my earlier pieces, gradually through counseling, reading, talks with friends, and much self-reflection, I latched on to a piece of wisdom from the Buddhist traditions. And that is, be open to all experiences and outcomes, but attached to none. So take, for example, my scans coming up in April. I am open to all possibilities. I am hopeful for great results, and I imagine that will happen, and I visualize on that. I do, but I don't think that my visualization has the ultimate determination on the outcome of of that scan. I don't cling with desperation to any one outcome. Also, I acknowledge the possibility of receiving difficult news. And for me, this allows me to focus more on the present moment. It's a mindset that reflects my spiritual beliefs that I am a creation, not a creator. I don't have ultimate power. Thanks for letting me do my rant on toxic positivity. I hope some of it resonated with you. Um, let me know what your thoughts are on this. I, I We talk about it a lot um, in our chats on Facebook, in our networks. Um, but go to the Facebook page, Man Up to Cancer's public Facebook page. Um, I, I post all these episodes there. I also post them on my personal Facebook page, Trevor Maxwell. I think it's Trevor Maxwell 35. Um, I want to have, and I post all my episodes there as well, but I want to have open discussions around around positivity and what I'm talking about today. So to finish up today's episode, I want to thank everyone again for supporting me and the Man Up to Cancer mission and and getting me through 50 episodes of, of creating this podcast. I really enjoy it. I enjoy, and the thing that I enjoy most about it is connecting with you, connecting with the people who are listening um, talking about it afterwards on Facebook or in Zoom calls or wherever I, I get to meet you. And if you want to email me, Trevor at manuptocancer.com um, or, or PM me on Facebook or um, <clears throat> or on Instagram, Cancer Wolves. Um, so at Cancer Wolves on Instagram. That's also the public page on Facebook for Man Up to Cancer. 
So I'm going to share with you a piece that I wrote in early January about a week before my CT scan. And this is a piece about, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a piece about spending time with grief and kind of touching on, this touches on the theme that I was talking about, which is how I experience some of the tougher emotions. And really, when I experience those, when I get close up to them, when I don't suppress them, how that process through thinking and writing takes me closer to um, coming to peace with them and then moving on and experiencing other emotions. Um, so this ends on a very hopeful note. Cancer and grief. Grief shows up at your door and you want to turn it away because you know how much it's going to hurt. You also know it won't leave you alone until you spend time with it. Grief visits on its own non-negotiable terms. These recent days have been grieving kind of days. It has come into the house of my heart and made itself quite comfortable. My limbs are heavy, my brain caught in cycles of the same sad thoughts. Grief for the battered landscape of my own mind and body, for what my wife and daughters have endured over the past four years, for the friends I have lost and will continue to lose. Grief for the irretrievable time I have spent fighting under threat of death when cancer has had me cornered and I'm stripped down to the singular instinct of survival. Grief for a society full of thoughts and prayers and little action, a complacency that would profit forever from our poisoning, burning, and cutting. Grief for the children left behind and the children facing a grown person's fight. Grief at knowing that while I have laid down my sword for the past few months, I will almost certainly be called again to that brutal and bloody field. And still, I must rally and stand against despair. I must know that grief is a visitor, not a permanent resident here. Grief will move along. In the very writing of this, I sense its restlessness. And in the morning, maybe tomorrow even, a kinder visitor will come, maybe hope or gratitude, perhaps even joy. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to support our mission, visit patreon.com backslash man up to cancer. Monthly subscriptions start at five bucks, less than a single cup of coffee at some establishments. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.